You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jim Shooter, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome to the Epic Marvel Movie Podcast. I'm Steve Ferguson. And I am Douglas Ferguson. So, uh, how's the weather down on Earth right now, Doug? Well, you know, you you picked a heck of a time to leave, I gotta tell you. You're not gonna come back anytime soon. Uh, I think leave's a bit of a stretch, really. I was abducted. (laughs) Well, that's fair. Well, welcome. I did manage to convince my uh, my friendly benefactors to uh, let me call you from uh, orbit over Rigel Seven. Well, let me tell you, they did you a favor. Earth is in a bit of a state right now. Oh yeah, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, as you may have noticed, because we are doing this over video, is that um, you're actually talking to the evil version of me. Oh, okay. From the mirror universe, as I've grown a goatee, and thus it is it is the mirror evil version. Um, I, I'm assuming that, uh, well, basically we're all, we're all on quarantine right now, but I'm assuming that everyone's going to come out of it with a much longer hair and, and really scraggly beards and stuff like that. That's, I just want to see what I could, hmm? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So hold on. Um, I've got a lot of background noise from the spaceship, so I'm just going to, uh, going to go behind a, a door here. Okay. All right. There we go. Mm-hmm. Ah, phew. I see you've done a lot of preparation. <laughs> all right so last time we did the uh what was it that wonderful masterpiece xanadu eh xanadu yes yes our listeners have been waiting on bated breath to to hear us do uh close encounters of the third kind uh although i think i took i took the uh our suggestion a little too literally and had a close encounter of the third kind myself which led into a close encounter of the fourth Mm -hmm. kind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which one's the fourth kind uh, oh, it's abduction. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So wait, what's the first kind? Well, actually, yeah. Here, let's let's get this out of the way. What are the different kinds of close encounters you can have? Well, you know, the good part is is that it's actually listed in the comic. So close encounters of the Whoa. first kind are sightings. Yeah, they're they're sightings, sightings of a UFO. Close encounters okay. the, of the second kind is physical evidence, something like your corn has been charred or your cow has been anally probed. Oh. You know, normal stuff. Yeah, the usual, yeah. And then the third kind is contact. Uh, the fourth kind is abduction. And I assume the fifth kind is breeding. I don't actually know. Mm. <laughs> Pretty kinky stuff going on from what I hear. I mean... I hear... Well, I mean, I mean, honestly, we, we when we watch Star Trek and stuff like that, we just really accept the fact that alien races are out there having their way with each other. Well, definitely. Like, yeah. You know, there's a lot of, like, half Klingon, half humans, half Vulcans, half... Um, Romulans have actually yeah. There's ha- the humans especially have really been doing their doing their do. They're just all over the place, spreading their seed around the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. Uh. So 
So that, on that note, let's get this podcast started. <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind was a movie that um, I didn't see as early in my life as as one would think. Like with the number of movies that I that mm-hmm. I had seen in childhood and adolescence, I think I was a young adult by the time I saw the movie. To be honest, um, similar situation here. Um, oh, so, yeah, oh, this is one of those things we're gonna have to get used to is the slight delay and us talking over each other. It's the interstellar um, distance. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, I mean, really, I'm, I'm we're just lucky that uh, the message reaches you at all. Um, <laughs> um, I don't think I watched it from start to finish until about 2014 ish. So not that long ago, all things considered. But I know that I've seen bits of it. Uh, I've seen, and also like tons of references and stuff like that. All, all grow all through my adolescence and growing up and stuff like that. Oh, I was definitely aware of the movie, like for a long time, and I knew it yeah. wasn't. I knew it wasn't a scary movie. Uh, I my understanding of it was that it was kind of like a grown up ET. Mm. But uh, yeah, so this was. Um, it wasn't Spielberg or okay. Was it Spielberg's biggest movie, or was Jaws t- still his biggest movie at that point? I think this was right after Jaws. It was. It was so he was... I mean, I guess we could look at domestic box office, but I think at the very least this was a more expensive movie to make. Yeah. So if it, even if it made more, it wasn't necessarily more profitable. But, I mean, the thing is, though, it was a one-two punch from Spielberg. Like, that was, like, two movies that really put him on the map. And not just him. Uh, also, leading man Richard Dreyfus, Him as well. Oh yeah, true, true. Uh, do you uh, do you know about the um, since the two movies were in production at the same time, the uh, bet, as it were, between Spielberg and George Lucas? Yes, I had heard. Uh, I had heard about the infamous bet as to which movie would it was which movie would gross the most, right? Yeah, and uh, basically they had each they had faith in each other's films. Yeah, interestingly enough, Richard Dreyfuss was uh, also in uh, in um, American Graffiti. So, I mean, maybe he was just being passed around between the oh. two of them. I've seen American Graffiti, but I don't remember Richard Dreyfuss. But then there was a lot of characters. Yeah, so I'm not too surprised I didn't. I don't remember everything. And it's been a while since I've seen that one, too. It's been a hot minute. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no. Um, uh, so the, st- the story goes that, honestly, Lucas really thought that, uh, you know, that Close Encounters was a surefire hit. And that there was no mm-hmm. way that Star Wars was going to do better than Close Encounters. Just no way. And Spielberg felt kind of likewise about Star Wars, saying, you know, this is kind of what the market wants, man. You know, this uh, Star Wars, this classic adventure. This is this is freaking Flash Gordon. Hooray. We all love Flash Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't love Flash Gordon? Well, actually, I mean, the 80s, the 80s Flash Gordon is... Okay, so I've, I've actually seen Flash Gordon. I've seen some of the really old 30s... Uh, I think it's 30... Uh, the, the, old, the old TV serial... And it's a little, it's a little bit hard to get into, um, but I, I really, actually, really like the '80s version, the the movie. I just think it is a splendidly campy um, adventure film that just really has that old school, like, like really pays tribute well to that old era. Groovy. Uh, 1977 in film was uh, a big year. Uh, there was a lot. There was mm-hmm. a lot going on. But um, okay, what well, what I do know off the top of my head, apart from Close Encounters. And Star Wars, because Star Wars really was the dominating, the dominating thing. Well, yeah. But there's also, if you want to talk about art house flicks, Eraserhead came out in 1977. Oh, that's crazy. So David Lynch also made his debut. The second Exorcist movie came out. Um. Oh, the, the second. Okay, so Star Wars was the top grocer of 77. Yeah. By a pretty high margin. 
Uh, and number two is not Close Encounters, but Smokey and the Bandit. That's interesting because that's the year Saturday Night Fever came out, right? Saturday Night Fever is number four. Oh, I see. So Close Encounters is three. Uh, Saturday Night Fever is four. And The Spy Who Loved Me came out in 77. One of one of uh, Roger Moore's best Bond films. I would agree with that. Annie Hall came out. Um, I don't know a lot of these other movies, even, the, even out of the top ten. Goodbye Girl, A Bridge Too Far, The Deep... Um, oh God. Oh God. A comedy starring George Burns and John Denver. Hmm. Oh, wait, I think I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the effects in the 70s for even science fiction films had changed so rapidly and were pioneered mm-hmm. more so into what we expected for the next couple decades before okay. CG took over. I mean, and then the two years after that, you have Alien. And Star Trek: The Next Generation, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and uh, the Black Hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, compared with like 1970 or 19, even 1967, um, the strides mm-hmm. that were made. I mean, you couldn't have made a movie like Close Encounters ten years mm-hmm. prior. Like, not, not, not a chance. I mean, visually, there was really, um, it was really astounding. It still looks good. It still looks good. Um, the the uh, effects and um, that's just yeah a testament to the creative minds behind it and just using I mean actually I, I just I literally have no idea how they did it <laughs> um, other than I guess just a lot of lighting I mean the thing is is that with with Star Wars is that I mean that was astounding for the time as well visually speaking but there's been you can kind of, there's been a lot of like little clips about it, like how it was done like you've seen a lot of making ofs where I haven't really seen those for Close Encounters I'm sure they're out there but yeah. They're not as not as prolific as the Star Wars behind the scenes. There's a million of them. Yeah, exactly. All right, Doug. So um, for the, for so, those those poor saps at home who actually haven't seen this film, why don't you walk us through mm-hmm. Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Well, you know, for a Hollywood blockbuster, although what a blockbuster was at the time was obviously different than what it is now. Relatively new term mm-hmm. at that point. I guess so. I mean, really, the the idea of blockbusters started because of Jaws. And Star Wars. Oh, is it uh, your your visitors <laughs> or your uh, your abductors? Are they checking in on you? Hey, go away! <laughs> I told you I'll come out for dinner. <laughs> yeah, man. Let me oh, tell okay, you right yeah. now, relentless. No, no privacy. Hey, eh? no yeah, privacy. All in all, it's pretty light on story. Actually, if you really think about it, it's it's pretty light. And basically, there's uh, people who have been discovering signs that that aliens are around or that or that something weird is going on. They don't necessarily know aliens right away. Um, but like planes and stuff that were disappeared uh, had that had disappeared for a long time, suddenly they're back. Power goes out and and Richard Dreyfus works uh, for the power company and he has to go on an errand but to try and get things fixed, but unfortunately um Something stops him along the way, and he gets a, a one of those aforementioned close encounters. And since that starts, he he gets very fixated on um, figuring out what all of this means, like what what uh, this alien contact m- meant. Um, <clears throat> meanwhile, there's also a lady with a son who uh, will never forget his name because often she says it. His name is Barry. Sorry, what was that? <clears throat> was was that Larry? No, but there's a Larry later on. Oh, so it's Gary. Eagle-eyed cherry. Oh, <laughs> eagle-eyed cherry. <laughs> Anyways, yes, the her and her kid keep like they they keep have well they they had a their her kid goes running off basically and she has to tra- track him down and go like hey stop running off bozo I think stop Terry don't do it 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, she runs into Richard Dreyfus, who, well, actually, he almost runs her over. Um, but uh, then they, they get very clear imagery, and they get a, a, a very, very clear view of the alien spaceships coming around at Highway Corner and and then uh, buggering off down, down the road and being chased by police cars. And a lot of people are reporting these kind of uh, visual sightings all over the world, and then they, they, they get obsessed with this mountain this mountain image, and they don't know what it means. What was it? What was it called? The mountain, Devil's Peak, or something like that. Uh, sounds right. Devil's Tower, Wyoming. Devil, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, admittedly a pretty cool looking mountain. You know, the the aliens when they looked around, they're like, which mountain looks the coolest? Oh, that one's good. That one's good. We'll do that. They're like, oh yeah, what about that? Uh, mm. What about that one with the faces carved into it? Nah, been done. Let's find something. Okay. Let's find one that looks like a tree stump. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You know, poor, uh, I keep wanting to call him Richard Dreyfus. What's his actual name, Mike? <laughs> Roy. Uh, Roy. Poor Roy. He goes really off the deep end. He terrorizes his family. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't mean to. I honestly feel really bad about his family, actually. Like, they're just, they, they I totally get why they left. <laughs> I totally get why they left. They just... They that he was he went he went nuts. Um, I feel bad for him actually. I really do. Oh, and Barry gets kidnapped by aliens. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and and at some point the four year old or whatever gets gets scooped up or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They actually. Uh, you may not know this. This was a uh, this was a commonly commonly understood part of the movie. The aliens taught him how to anally probe cows. The the kid or yeah the Roy. kid. Oh okay yeah yeah yeah. Okay, was that in the special features and deleted scenes? Not even in the special features. Just everybody knows that's what happens. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So, I mean, yeah. Well, Steve, I have no choice but to believe you. Because <laughs> why would you lie? Why would you I, lie I, I have no reason to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's the gist of the movie, yeah. Yeah, uh, Star Wars wound up being the bigger the bigger film, but Close Encounters was nothing mm-hmm. to laugh at. And, uh, and Spielberg and George Lucas from that day forward laughed into their money and uh the rest is history <clears throat> mm-hmm. i have a ver- a fondness for this for this film i had watched it with uh andrew a couple years ago i think and uh even though it's like for the first couple acts not a lot happens the atmosphere is so palpable that you don't really get bored mm-hmm. watching it you know uh the soundtrack is amazing but at the same by the same token it knows when to be restrained and when to dominate which is fantastic kudos john williams for for the soundtrack and it's it's just um the whole thing with the way it's uh kind of haunting the main characters and driving them to obsession and what the aliens want at the end, really, and all that sort of stuff is is left up in the air, which is fine because it's an alien situation. It's completely it's completely foreign to anything that mankind has ever really experienced before, and so you don't need to really understand the motives per se, except contact is the is the motive, and just because it's it's kind of a very weird way of of doing it um that's okay because we're dealing with something not of this earth and so the you're left with this um you're not left with like a lot of questions you're just left with a wow you know wow sort of impression well one thing steven spielberg is great at is creating a sense of wonder um and it's not just this movie uh he he's able to do that in jurassic park as well um where i think you know part of it is in this movie is because he's very patient and you have to be patient while watching it because 
it's a very slow burn to begin with. And it actually is it's a slow burn for the most part all the way through. Um, you know, it's not, it's not like Solaris or anything, but it's, <laughs> but it's slow. But he also, he, especially when it comes to the aliens actually making contact, he really does emphasize people's reactions. And I think that that's why, like, that the actors, their, their sense of wonder is really transferred onto us. And also, yeah, the very slow patient shots of the, of the gigantic spaceship and stuff like that. It's, it's all, it all makes the whole thing work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the film. I think it's, um... You know, there's certain things that I can't, that I struggle with a little bit in it, in that, you know, the air, the aliens are, Barry and his mom, they just really, Barry's mom is just terrorized by them. Uh. Just, like, in that scene where they, where they take Barry, they trash her house without even touching it. Like, it, everything just goes haywire. And I don't know if the aliens, like, know what they're doing. Or, or, or they, if they're just, like, if this is just a, our, our technology reacting to their technology. I don't know. I, I think we're just we're just so so different even on a biological and cultural level that we're almost almost incompatible and that the only thing that we really have in common is the need for contact or uh, a, a an insatiable curiosity mm. about each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and also I, I feel I feel terrible for again for Roy and his whole family. Yeah, um, the fact that they he they 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 basically the aliens destroyed that family. Because they're like, hey, we want to meet this guy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. No. <laughs> uh, it's, it's yeah, uh, it's it's a shame. Although I got to say, making contact, using music as a way of contacting aliens was really cool. And the fact that they basically j- broke into like a jam session for a little while. Uh, and, and, and I just imagine the aliens on board going, yeah. Woo. <laughs> These humans are okay. They know how to rock. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that that was uh, that was kind of fun. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, those are my thoughts, I guess. Okay, so let's go to uh, let's go to the comic adaptation. It was uh, Marvel Super Special number three, done in ni- 1978. What month? You know what? I, I don't even recall seeing the month on here. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh yeah, there it is. Uh, I must have missed it with this front page where it tells you the different encounters right there. <laughs> huh. Okay, well, 1978. It looks like it's probably early 1978 because there were three other... No, wait, no, sorry. Five other Marvel Super Specials that came out that year. So it was probably fairly early, mm-hmm. um, and it was adapted by Archie Goodwin, illustrated by Walt Simpson and or Simonson, sorry, and uh, Klaus Jansen. And the thing I will note from the get-go is Mr. Goodwin made a note at the end of the comic regarding adapting this from a motion picture, which I thought was great. Oh, I actually didn't read that. Oh yeah, no. From the get-go, he says he, you know, he says, you know, we weren't allowed to use the character likenesses, so we kind of had to do our own oh, interpretation. Okay. Like from the get-go. I was gonna say because they don't really look like they don't really look like their characters, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah, um, they were working off an earlier draft of the script, but then when the movie came out, they had just enough time to do a revision before releasing the comic. And so he was writing it basically mm-hmm. as they were still finishing that last revision. 
So, I mean, and that was great because because he was he was really kind of humble about the whole thing. He was super stoked to be working on the project, but at the same time, he's just like, you know, this is a this is a movie that's uh, where the sound and the visuals are super important, and condensing it sometimes works for some scenes, but other times it's just we just had to kind of uh, kind of work with what we had. And uh, so I I strongly recommend reading uh, Archie Goodwin's note at the end because it, it is actually a very, very uh, good and humbling account of adapting a film this difficult to adapt into a comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, kudos, kudos for, for that. What do you think about the comic, Doug? I thought it was a pretty OK adaptation. Um Except, uh, man, Roy looks like super like square jawed and serious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's just he's just got this really stern looking face all the time. It actually makes him, you know, I I guess there's it's something you said for like visual cues and stuff like that. Um, but it does kind of make me sympathize with him less. I feel like Richard Dreyfus his descent into into insanity was very sympathetic because he just he looked. I don't know. He just kind of looked helpless and, and like uh, there's something about his performance and the fact that he, he has a very gentle looking face made it so that I could kind of connect with him more. Yeah. There's definitely uh, some significant differences, especially in introducing Roy and his family. This, that whole scene, I watched it back to back with, or I read it and then watched the movie and it is completely different. Mm-hmm. It is completely different. They are, um, that must've been one, a, a hell of a, an overhaul on the script. This it's actually it's actually much faster moving in the movie actually. But um, this whole Pinocchio thing that uh, there's a Pinocchio through line where he mentions it and basically all through the script, which are all through the comic script I should say because in the movie most of that is removed. Although there is a visual Pinocchio reference um, in the movie uh, when we first see Roy. Yeah, one of the things that I noticed. Is there is a there's a very a motif of lights all through the film, and one thing the the comic uh, dropped the ball on a little bit is that the very first shot of the movie is lights they're car lights but they're coming through a dust cloud so you don't see the origin of the lights you just see the lights and then eventually you see the car, and that was kind of a a powerful parallel I feel between like you know our technology and the alien technology and. Um, I don't know, like there's just, there's something, there's something very important about the, that, that sort of that early visual cue. Um, but unfortunately, uh, they didn't open with that in this. They, they just kept it with, uh, they, they show the very opening scene is basically the, it's these wheels. And I feel like, oh damn, they, they kind of missed that opportunity for that, that visual, that important visual element. But you know, at the same time, again, making a comic is different from making a movie. Yeah. You know, it is, it is very hard to adapt a film that is so slow moving and patient and relies so much on atmosphere and 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 you just can't create the same level of awe in a comic book because again i guess there was another movie that we did that was kind of the same way where if maybe it was, maybe it was the last starfighter where you just oh no it was definitely xanadu okay it was xanadu <laughs> right um <laughs> <laughs> where you just can't quite recreate that sense of wonder with uh comics. I don't I just I think I just feel like you have to kind of get that the sense of you have to get satisfaction from another source cuz especially I mean ultimately you know the special effects of close encounters in the movie 
as I imagine as an audience member, you just you look at some of these UFO effects and you're just like, how did they do that? Like, it looks so amazing. It looks so real. And you just can't really reproduce that in a comic. Um, at least not. Yeah, I don't know. Because, you know, you just know it's, it's drawn and it's colored. And and it just, yeah, you just can't you can't really replicate that. But but at the same time, you know, they, they did create some really lovely shots. Like they just like some of the lighting effects do look really cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to give them kudos for for giving it the old college try, especially, you know, uh, where's the the best of it was right at the end. Well, it's, which I guess, you know, just like the movie. Like some of the stuff leading up to it, I feel like they didn't they didn't quite capture it so well. But, um, but when that uh, that shot at the very end, when that when the big spaceship comes out, uh, I think does look really marvelous. Like that is that is a terrific picture. Mm. Yeah, there's it is interesting. Some of the changes is that I almost I wonder how much of it was just because the script changed or because they just had to kind of make it more efficient storytelling. Yeah. Right at the end, when Roy's gonna be go, go with the aliens, um, he in the movie he makes a decision and he goes and gets dressed up for the thing, and and then he goes out with a whole line of people, and then they pick him out specifically from that line. In this one, there's that line of people who who are going to go on the mission, but they're denied entry, and then they they get Roy instead, even though he's um he's not dressed up for the occasion. Like he did, I, it seems like he was he less. He didn't really make the conscious decision so much of like, okay, I'm definitely going to go. It just seems like the aliens are like, hey, there he is. Let's take him. <laughs> um, uh, and they also definitely downplayed the visual element of the aliens, which maybe was a good decision to keeping the aliens as ambiguous as possible in the background. Mr. Goodwin did mention that as well, that that was a, that was a conscious, conscious choice, uh, almost like a directive to keep the aliens indistinct, which... Um, um, I think was mostly successful, although I did find the alien smiling at them at the end kind of cheesy. I'm not gonna lie, because it's it's just it's Ooh. almost a little too you know, hey buddy, sort of sort of thing for me. <laughs> hey hey, that was pretty cool. Thanks for the guy. <laughs> Thanks for the guy. <laughs> uh, whereas whereas just like maybe maybe just like a um, a look at the, their eyes or something like that, like a, an eye contact sort of sort of thing would have been enough to convey it. I guess because smiling mm-hmm. smiling seems to be worse. This this whole story is is uh, the differences between us and how alien they are. To have you know shoddy you know turn and, and smile, give us a big old smile seems too human. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, who's to say that that facial expression in their culture? would mean anything what it means to us right oh it doesn't even mean the same um, thing among primates if you smile like like an open smile to a gorilla you're asking to get your face punched in okay good to know <laughs> Doug, even if it's optimus primal have you been have you been smiling mm. and baring your teeth to gorillas <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want them to know that i want to be their friends <laughs> well when you put it like that okay but now I know that's not the way to do it. But unless it's Optimus Primal, right? Yeah, I, I think he'd get it. I think he'd get it. Yeah, you think he'd understand? Yeah. <laughs> There's a line that was missed fairly early on that was in the film that wasn't in the comic, which I kind of... Like, it's it's a fairly innocuous line, but I always really liked it. Um, it's where one of the air traffic controllers is, is uh, speaking to the plane, and... Um, there's a lot of rapid fire dialogue going back and forth, but in the movie he says quite distinctly, "Do you wish to report a UFO?" 
uh, you know, because up to that point, there were, it was a lot of chatter about, uh, you know, some technical terms, some aviation terms, blah, blah, blah. But then the, the, so the, the sort of the pointed, do you wish to report a UFO uh, in that scene kind of grounded it back down for the average viewer. But it really wasn't there in the, in the um, I mean, the gist of it was, but that, that pointed line wasn't there in the comic, which I thought was too bad. But yeah. Well, you know, there was actually, there were a lot of scenes with the government and the military and stuff like that in the movie. And I feel they really downplayed that as a whole in the comic and just focused a lot more on Roy and uh, Barry and... Um, actually, yeah, mostly Roy. Mostly Roy. Yeah. This is the tricky thing, though, in that, like, um, I like the balance in the movie be- between the personal factor of, you know, Roy and and uh, and uh, Jerry, the kid, uh, whatever, and, uh, y- you know, that there's the personal stories, but then there was the overarching this is happening to humanity stories of the various, um, you know, like finding the uh, the ship in the desert and the air traffic controller, you know, that it's, yeah. it's a global event. And I like that balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's working. Yeah. Seeing it from the different perspectives for sure. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I mean, that's basically if, if this were, if this were to happen, I, I, you know, you could definitely bet that the government and military are going to be all over it, but it, it would affect people's personal lives as well. And it's important to kind of see those two, those two aspects. Well, I mean, hell, not meaning to uh, to make it real, but that's what's going on right now to an extent, right? Government and the military is all over uh, all over this uh, this current pandemic, but you know, there's real real peel- people at the heart of it, right? And it's it's finding that balance that uh, between the bigger picture and the personal picture that I think is driving a lot of people kind of squirrely. It's true. Everyone's got their individual stories and. But but everyone's got their um, face in the news and seeing how the politicians are handling everything and yeah it's uh yeah I mean I guess yeah any anything that kind of unites the globe in some aspect I think people can find kind of relatable right now mm. even if it unites the globe in confusion I don't know if they're aliens or not <laughs> um any 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 other thoughts hmm I I feel like we touched on a lot of the things I'm trying to see if there's any more interesting interesting changes yeah you know I, I think they cover they cover the they cover a lot of the important beats of the story they do a good job of like about seeing seeing the things that work and 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 some scenes you know they're 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 rushed and played down a little bit like but also you know again the movie was so slow and patient like that whole scene where barry gets abducted that's a really long scene and 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 we start to as an audience member feel the stress that his mom is feeling and and overwhelmed like his mom is feeling it plays out very very quickly in the comic so it, it, the comic doesn't it doesn't capture things quite as well as I, as one might hope but again you know like it it's it's an admirable attempt i really do i do think they did a they did a decent job um but it's no replacement for seeing the movie i don't think no no um just i really really want to quickly circle back to a point that you made earlier in that the changes to roy um, I, I know you felt he just wasn't as sympathetic in the comic, but frankly, mm-hmm. by page 11, I hate him. I hate the comic version of Roy. I think he's an ass. He's, he's already acting like an obsessed ass before the, the sightings and the, uh, the manipulation by the aliens. He's, he's already a jerkwad. The, the, 
the you know the mountain incident was probably the last of many straws to be honest uh yeah you know <laughs> that's a good point is that he's he's really like i mean the script is very different uh especially like at the beginning a lot of roy's dialogue and stuff is very different from the movie so um <clears throat> maybe they felt maybe they felt in the movie production like oh this isn't this isn't going to make anybody want to follow roy around for the rest of this film um, and they maybe just didn't have the uh, the uh, the time to to change it in the comic. Maybe because Richard Dreyfus is just so like so kind, uh, just like he just comes across as so innocent and naive. But, but maybe they also, or maybe they change the dialogue to sort of match Richard Dreyfus's um, character a little bit better, like the how, how he is able to be portrayed. Um, because. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. He's not a nice guy. He uh, there's certain points in it where he almost seems like he's just kind of done with his family. He's like, ugh, they don't like Pinocchio. What's wrong with them? <laughs> and there was something with mini golf, and I was just like, ah, whatever, right? True. Yeah. Good point. Is that not only is he less sympathetic, he is kind of unlikable. So yeah, good point. So yeah, he can just go and hang out with those aliens, whatever. Or they're, they're just going to get sick of him and throw him back. <laughs> they can have him. Like They can have him. They're like, Earth sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, Doug. Which, like, hands down, what do you think is, which one do you think is better? What's the better story? What's the better execution? Which one would you prefer to revisit? Between the movie and the comic? Yeah. I'd say that the movie's the movie's better. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'd say I'd say by by a decent margin. Um, again, the the comics it's a it's a decent try to adapt it, but it's you know what what we've I think what we've gone over from the the trend I'm seeing with our show here is that when the movie is a little bit weaker, the comic has the ability to condense and improve and. Um, and just make things kind of work, work for the medium of comics, where when the movie's when the movie's strong, um, y- y- the comic more has to make concessions to fit into being a comic. Um, I just feels, yeah, I don't know, like it's just it's pretty hard to to take the f- the medium of film when it, when it has so many other elements working for it, like sound and performance and stuff like that when it has everything working well mm-hmm. basically you have to scale that all down and you know you have to remove that whole audio aspect and you have to remove a pacing i mean or basically you have to pace it differently um because i mean ultimately what it comes down to is like how long does one person want to stare at that particular page for that's kind of how you can <laughs> pace it out a little bit um and you know sometimes this one does work pretty well in that there's some of those shots with the alien vessels, you do kind of want to look at them for a long time just to like soak in all the, all the details. But again, there's only a few more elements at play is that um, the script is going to read how, how you read it rather than how it's performed. And if you know, in in this case, like you had good actors doing a good job with the script and, and apparently in the movie, a better polished version of the script. So um, a good try, but but ultimately, yeah, it does. It just doesn't doesn't live up to the film. I don't think. I agree. I agree. It was, you know, what good attempt, guys. Good attempt. I I sympathize completely with them. The fact that Mr. Goodwin even had to go on the record at the end and say, "Whoa, guys, mm-hmm. you should see the movie." <laughs> you know, uh, this is the, this was hard, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So so you know what absolutely and honestly it, the movie is a classic for a reason and really should be watched. Mm-hmm. 
if nothing just for that human alien jam session at the end oh yeah absolutely yeah. uh yeah yeah it, you mean you mean the one that's uh at uh jabba's palace right before the remastered version <clears throat> yeah the lapty neck is definitely the the song of choice for yeah totally definitely lapty neck is the superior song <laughs> cool even by, even by name, the other song was called Jedi Rocks, and A, it's not it's not a rock song, and B, I mean, I guess I don't speak hot ease, but um, I'm like, why would they be singing about Jedis? I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. It makes no sense. We, yeah. uh, we had a couple comments on the Facebook page, a, a couple short ones there. Uh, Bill, Billy Dunlevy, he says, great adaptation. Just bought and read this one in the last year or so. I was very impressed. Oh, truthfully, man. truthfully, I think it's better than the film. Oh, Bi- mm, Billy likes it better mm. than the film. All right. Uh, Billy, feel free to, to follow up on this episode and tell us what worked for you the best. I'm, I'm genuinely, genuinely interested. Or maybe if there was something in the film that just didn't sit with you well, let us know, man. Uh, f- fill it out a little more. And, totally. and yeah. uh, Steve J. Hunter, he said, was a great film. I never read the comic. Hope the Epic Collections do a movie run. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That would be uh, that would be something. Although mm-hmm. I would, I would uh, you know, I would be um, both interested and kind of feel so so on yet another adaptation, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not even sure how a novel adaptation would work for this, to be honest. It, it, it just seems to be such a visual and auditory story, you know, but. I mean, you know, always always up for trying something new, I guess. Yeah, you never know. I was going to make a point, but I lost it. That's fine. Sorry. Now, uh, now ne- <laughs> next time, we're going, uh, we're staying, I guess, again, in the realm of science fiction, but we're doing things a little differently next time. And apparently, we're going to have a couple other peeps join us, including Curtis himself. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah, we're doing, um, is it the Transformers movie? Trans- Transformers the movie from 1987. Oh, yeah. It's about time cool. I showed it to Andrew and Scarlett. They, uh, they, they should watch that movie. It's, um, you know, it probably won't mm-hmm. mean as much to them uh, as uh, children of the uh, children of the 21st century, but uh, maybe we'll get a tear choke out of them. Maybe. Uh, well, you have to show them a little bit of the original series first, leading up to it, right? Yeah, true be dats, true be dats. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know if you have to well show them the whole thing, but just you know the the important part. Season two is long. Season two is long. Yeah. yeah, you could do a curated, condensed version or season two, maybe. And this yeah. episode is called Creme Zeke, and it's really annoying, and we'll never speak of it again. The end. <laughs> Creme Zeke. <laughs> Creme Zeke! Oh, Creme Zeke! Oh, boy. Maybe I'll even show them that, uh, that toy commercial that that's, uh, precedes the movie. Oh, um... I don't remember that. Yeah, no, it? it was it was a commercial, but it, it took place like right before the movie. But it was a Japanese toy commercial. Oh, hmm. yeah, it was bonkers. I, I think I saw it on the special features. Anyways, uh, I uh, I think I put off I put off the inevitable. I've got to go join the commons, Doug. The commons? Yeah, I got to go out and join the commons here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, have fun. I will. You guys are having a party. They're having a party, Doug. <clears throat> Very inconsiderate. They didn't invite you. They're pretty. It's pretty rocking. <clears throat> well, you know, aliens—they love to jam. They love to jam with uh, with musics. Okay, okay, Doug. I'll talk to you later. Uh, just uh, keep watching movies and keep reading comics. Of course, yeah. Uh, come back to Earth, maybe, maybe in a month. Maybe in a month. Uh, I, I might come back for your wedding, but don't hold my, don't hold your breath. 
Okay, well, fair enough. I'll, if you're not here, I'll just... I don't know. I'll, uh... Do you have a... I'll, I'll use Andrew. I'll use Andrew. All right. Bye. Bye.